0: Hi, my name is Jenna Reed, and I'm going to read the scripture reading today from Mark 5, 1 through 13, and then verses 21 through 43. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus, by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you again for your patience with us. And, you know, it's again, like all these things, like you don't notice it until something happens, right? And we realize how often it does not happen. And uh, we really thank our sound team and our praise team for making this possible for all of us. So thank you for serving behind the scenes for this past year in many ways to make this possible. Not just this past year, but for many, many Sundays that we were able to together to worship the Lord. Um, Thank you, Jenna, for reading this morning. Um, If you do not know, Jenna is our missionary uh, that we support in our church, who is heart for Muslims. And Unreached is something that I admire and learn almost every day, as she shares. And if you want to learn what it means to pray for Muslims, follow her on Instagram, and she will teach you how to pray for that every day. And um, she recently wrote a blog in our women's ministry blog as well. As you could tell, she's a teacher. She's a way with words. Many, many have benefited just by sitting under her teaching, and if you also do not know, she was recently married with her husband, Tim, and uh, I know you guys have all her old prayer cards. Time to replace them, right? You got time to replace them. We actually have them out by the uh, welcome table, so please pick them up on your way out. If you're not here with us, you can find them online by going to... um, I believe it was S-I-M or no, Wycliffe, Wycliffe, yes, Wickliffe, and you can find her uh, there as well to pray for her, um, and it's a joy that we have a missionary with us because they're actually very close to leaving to go on the field, uh, so what a joy, so if you have time to sit down with them, ask them questions, and uh, let's learn what it means to go to our mission field in our knees, amen, amen. amen. Good morning, my name is Josh Kim. I am an assistant pastor here at Christ Center Church, and we were very grateful. I believe all of us were so excited to have uh, two weeks of our daughter church pastors come and join us. And what a joy it was, not only to hear from them, but to know that God is doing amazing work in the West Side of Charlotte. And today, we ought to remember them to pray for them, because today they're gathering to Worship in person for the first time in a while, as Pastor Charles shared last week. So please remember to pray for them as we think about them. Um, And we hope to have these guys back in the future, near future to hear about what God has been doing in their lives and what God is going to do through them as well. And last week, Pastor McKnight talked about his basketball skills. And if you do not know, he was being very modest. He actually played college basketball. So for him, his modesty means amazing for me, right? Um, And I know he's being modest about basketball. I'm a huge basketball fan as well. And today's title of the message is called Coast to Coast. I almost felt not worthy to talk about basketball after Pastor McKnight did, (laughs) because as you could tell, even the height, athletic abilities, whatever may be, I do not measure up. But Coast to Coast is a term that often that you hear if you're a basketball fan. You hear often, It talks about a player that's going from one court, end of the court, to the other with the aim and the goal of scoring the basket. And you'll hear it quite often if you turn on the TV and watch NBA coverage or whatever it may be. You'll hear the player is going coast to coast to score for the team. Even if you're not a basketball fan, you know the term very well. Coast to coast basically means it's covering one end of the coast to the other. And everything in between, everyone in between, is covered at that. Coast to coast is what we read today, what we read today in chapter 5 of Mark. Here we find our King, Christ, going literally coast to coast. On one coast of Gerasene, to the other coast. Of Capernaum, you see Jesus moving through this chapter, ministering, healing, displaying once again who he is the people who comes his path. He's not only covering the grounds as we see, but he covers multitude of people, a multitude of cities, different backgrounds, different culture, cities. Situations, circumstances, you name it. He is covering it all. He's going coast to coast. And why is that so important for us to know? Why does it matter to us that he covers all grounds? I think one of the biggest hindrances for us in coming to Christ is often the doubt and the question of, will God, will Christ, really be able to deal with me the way I am? Does he really understand or get me in the situation that I'm going through? Or perhaps there's fear of wondering if only God knew who I am. If God only knows what I'm thinking, the things I've done last night, would he be able to still accept me and embrace me? Would he care? Am I worth it for him to deal with today? And if we have learned anything thus far in the Gospel of Mark, we find that anyone that comes on the path of Christ, he does deal with. He is willing, and he is able to overcome. Let alone in those who happen to stumble upon him, But those who seek after him, he's able to cover everyone coast to coast. And I hope that's what we find this morning for us. As we go through the Gospel of Mark, the chapter 5, we find that this Jesus does not shy away from who you are. He does not walk away from the situation and the circumstances you're in. We find that Jesus does not walk away as he encounters these three people on his path towards the cross. And time and time again, time and time again, he invites us to come to follow him. And if you are in need of a Savior this morning, and if you are in need of this Christ in your life, someone who is willing and wanting and who is able to deal with whatever that you bring to the table, I invite you, journey with me as we watch Christ going coast to coast throughout chapter 5. In this chapter, we find the king who passes to go to coast to coast. The king who passes to go coast to coast. I'm going to try to stay with a basketball analogy today. Stay with me on this. So in order for you to get from one coast to the other coast, one of the best and the fastest way most direct way a player can do that is by passing the ball, right? Passing the ball doesn't hit the floor. It's easiest as well as the fastest and the direct way for you to go from one coast to the other coast in order to score. And the first story that we run across in chapter 5, we see King who figuratively gets directly to the point in going coast to coast. He gets directly to the person that is in need of a Savior. And that's what we find in chapter 5, don't we not? That's what we read. It says, They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of Gerasene. And when Jesus stepped out of the boat, immediately, again immediately, there met him out of them, a man with an unclean spirit. Upon calming the sea in chapter 4, Jesus gets to the other side of the country. Now, there's no crowd in the early chapters that are pressing up against him. There are also no Pharisees who is watching every move that he makes like a hawk. Again, he is distant from his own country. And the journey was a tough one at that, as we saw the disciples with raising sea and all. But here they are. Perhaps disciples are finally thinking, I need a break. I need a vacation from following this king. Perhaps they thought this was a nice getaway after all. But what we see in this story is that Jesus gets to the other coast, and the moment they set their foot on the shore, here he is met with a man with an unclean spirit. Another way to say a demon possessed man. Now the demon possession was rare, Back in the days when Jesus walked on earth, as it is today. And there could be a lot of debates about what this really means. And I don't have time to unpack all that. But we may be in this culture quick to dismiss this as an urban legend or something that doesn't happen anymore. But I believe these things do happen, especially in the mission field. Find one of our missionaries and ask them about it. They have stories and stories and stories upon to tell you, and many of you who went on mission trips or different places have seen this as well. Here is a man, and what we recognize is following is that he is not only filled with one demon. The scripture tells us he's filled with the legion of a demon, demons. A legion is the largest unit in the Roman army. A division that is full strength can number up to 6,000 men. And here is a man that's possessed, tormented by a lesion of demons coming at the foot of the cross, coming to Christ. But what else do we notice about him? Besides the fact that he is a demon-possessed man, the fact that he's demon-possessed means he's isolated from the society, and that's what we read, do we not? Here's a man who lives out in the tomb in the graveyard, as the townspeople couldn't really handle him. They were chaining him, hoping he will be under control, but he breaks the chains and shackles, and Scripture is explicitly clear that he overpowers the man who tries to control him. Furthermore, he hurts himself and did not communicate properly. With anyone who tries to help, he's rejecting all the help that comes his way. Perhaps it was appropriate for the townspeople at the time to leave him in the graveyard, hoping or even wondering when he would die because his days seem to be numbered. He's isolated from society. Furthermore, he's not only isolated from the people, he's also isolated away from God. Not only was he a Gentile, in the other side of the sea, we see he also possessed by a of demons, isolated away from God. And according to Numbers chapter 19, even if he were to try to come to God of Israel, he is rendered unclean. According to Numbers 19, if a person comes in contact with a graveyard, a tomb, the person is rendered unclean, unable to come before the Lord. Unclean does not mean the person is sinful, meaning um, the Old Testament did not say you should not go to the graveyard to go see those who passed away or whatever it may be. The Old Testament does not forbid burying the dead Rather, the cleanliness of the Old Testament purity laws talked about the holiness of God. Meaning you ought to do all these things before you come to God who is so holy. It's talking about God who is set apart, so you have to prepare yourself to be cleansed before coming to God. That's what the Old Testament purity laws pointed towards. So again, this man had everything going against him. Demon possessed by legion of demons, a Gentile at that, a person that Israelites will avoid, and a land that Israelites would not dare to come across. Let alone, even if he wants to, he is unable to come to God. But church, guess who finds him? Right, who happens to walk by him? A Jew, a, a person. A Jew who is in Gentile land, right in the place where this man was left alone, who left the crowd to be in the Gentile land where no Jew will be. A man who journeyed, God man who journeyed across the roaring sea to run into him, who makes it possible. For this ceremoniously unclean done one who is left alone to die, who cannot even dare to imagine to come before God. Who makes it possible that that person can have this encounter with God and God alone? Christ. And here comes the beauty of the gospel, beauty of this king in this story. We're reminded that he's ever so present. He covers coast to coast. Meaning no matter what situation you think you're in, the isolation that you may be in, it's not too hard for him to find you. Even in the circumstances where you think or you know that you're not able to come before God, what the scripture is reminding us is you can come to the one who will mediate for you. He is the God who came to love you who came to see you, who came to intercede on behalf of you so that you can confidently come before the God of the universe and have this relationship with him. He is able to deal with all that you bring to his table. And there's no kind of hindrance that could throw him off, not even the vast sea. The ceremonial loss of purity, seemingly powerful enemy in demons, self-inflicting harm, not only of the demon possessed here, but if you're in Christ, even more so here. The scripture reminds us in Romans, nothing can separate us from the love of our God. Our own barriers, concerns, societal perceptions, you name it, he could overcome. He has overcome, and he will overcome. And that's the promise of the gospel. That's what we call our faith. This is what we place our absolute trust in. The fact that God can overcome. God will overcome. And God has power and authority to overcome. That's the promise of the gospel. That's the story of our king. That's the king who covers coast to coast. I remember an encouragement that was shared with me. in the ways that you could pray for people by my community group leader back in college as I was meeting with her for prayer partner gatherings and just getting to know her as she was getting to know me, I found out that she had an unbelieving parents. And for years and years, she would pray. And they were so absolutely against going to church. She would have heartbreaks upon heartbreaks upon heartbreaks, praying, hoping, but there was no way in. And I asked her, isn't that discouraging? Does that matter even that you even pray till now? After 10 plus years of praying. But you know what she would say? What she told me was, yes, it takes years to pray. And I'm consistently disappointed. But what I pray for is not only that I will be able to share the gospel. But there will be people that will come to their way. That God will send people their way. God will send encounters in their path different people to speak the language that they could understand so that the gospel will be preached to them. And I realize if there's any biblical rationale for that, here it is. God can overcome. God could do it, isn't it? Isn't that what we just read today, church? That God overcomes the impossible. That even when you cannot get through, God can Even when you are your biggest enemy in coming before the Lord, he's able to deal with that. I know a lot of us here also deal with parenting, speaking into the lives of our children, our spouse, our family, whatever it may be. Here, the promise of the scriptures that God is able to overcome. He's able to cross the ocean, cast the demons out, speak the truth so that this man can be sound in mind and be a follower of Christ. Jesus is even willing here in this text, we didn't get a chance to read this, but to even send thousands of pigs die for sake of one soul. one soul that counts people and the society says that was not worthy. Here Christ was willing to sacrifice all that and we see all the more. He even sacrifices his life on the cross so that this person can have life in Christ. Church, May we not lose hope in the king who is ever after us, who is ever after you, who is ever after those we pray for. Church, he will move mountains, calm the oceans, cast out demons, heal the sick to get to those who are his own. Not only we see the king who passes to go from coast to coast, we also see the king who is able to dribble to go from coast to coast. Again, staying with the basketball analogy here, perhaps the, the most familiar term that we know in a basketball player from going from one coast to the other is dribbling. And I'm not going to pretend. Uh, I also noticed again last week as Pastor McKnight was pretending to dribble, I, I saw it in him. It's like he can't do it. But if I do that up here, you'll laugh at me. So I'm not going to do that. So you do something like this, right? Where you weave through in and out of the defender to get to the other court. And that's what happens in this text as we see the next story that happens in verse 21. And when Jesus has crossed again in the boat to the other side, now he goes from one coast to the other coast. A great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jarius. Jairus. Uh, Jarius, or Jarius by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So it seems like there is a very important encounter about to happen with this ruler of a synagogue seeking Christ. But as we are getting ready to hear this story about Jarius and his daughter, getting to the next point. There is this amazing story that's embedded right before this encounter happens the setting of the story is a familiar one here is jesus surrounded by the crowd even as he crosses over to the other side mostly like capernaum at this point he encounters the ruler of the synagogue and he's out to go to this land and now he's weaving in and out of the crowd to get there and only picture i could think about what this will look like is if you are golf fans here Imagine Tiger Woods in that famous scene as after he's finished with 17, he's about to win whatever championship, and he's walking, and you see this mass crowd following him, right? Imagine that times like more. That's probably what was happening with people just throngs about him, just waiting to touch him. But as Jesus is walking and moving, weaving in and out, getting to the other side of the town in the Jairus South, someone touches him. An outstretched hand of woman touching him. And what does the Bible tell us about this woman? Again, we often highlight that she's been suffering for 12 years, bleeding nonstop. And yes, that's painful, but it's not just the physical condition that is the heartbreak for us here. We also note that her illness, again, isolates her. And according to Jewish purity laws, again, a woman, when a woman bleeds, talking about menstrual cycle, she's rendered unclean, not permitted in the society for a time being, according to Leviticus 15. Please note again, that's not saying she is sinful. It's not talking about the cause of her bleeding, as menstrual cycle in a woman's body is a normal part of God's divine design. And it is for a short time of being during this cycle that one is rendered unclean, placing again the importance of coming to God in preparation in the Old Testament times. I also want to highlight this because it's very important for us to know this as well. Not only for women, but men's bodily discharge, such as ejection of semen, renders men unclean as well, in the same chapter in Leviticus 15. To highlight the fact that again, sexual identity, sex, according to God, is not inherently sinful. Right? I want to make sure to teach that from this pulpit. But sex, Marriage also must come under God's authority. And that's what the scripture teaches. It's not that it's inherently sinful. It must come under God's authority at that. Okay, coming back to the purity laws. The purity laws was not saying you are sinful by bleeding here. Yet it was to highlight the holiness and how God is set apart. What this meant for this woman who is unnamed here, who won't stop bleeding meant, she's not rendered unclean for a short period of time, but she's perpetually unclean. So she's not able to come back to the societal, the communal aspect of her life. Most likely, she's cut off from her family, her place in society. The fact that in the next verse, we see that she spent all that she had, a lot of commentators say she was once a wealthy person, a wealthy member in a society, but she's cut off from all that, let alone being cut off from the God that she knew growing up. But one difference between her and the demon-possessed man in the previous story is that here in her story, the demon-possessed man didn't do anything to try to save himself, right? God finds him. Here in this story, she tries everything to fix this situation. That's why we read in verse 26, and who has suffered much under many physicians, and has spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. We find out that she sought out doctors, she spent fortune, desperately hoping that there will be some kind of help, but none of the medicine helped her. None of these remedies, self-help guidelines, books, whatever it may be, did not cure of her disease, let alone her deep isolation and the pain that she had in her heart. So in the most desperate moment, of her life when everything seemed to have failed hope against hope here she's reaching out in the hopes that this king jesus will hear her and note the unclean woman in the midst of the crowd also men she's not disclosing the fact that she's unclean she's truly desperate to hide away from people of her real condition to reach out in secret hoping that just by passing by, she could experience the healing power. In basketball, when someone makes this great move, quite often crossover, or in my favorite move, it's called sham god, uh, you are completely at a loss. And if you watch in, uh, the Instagrams or whatever it may be, uh, when a basketball player does this amazing move and person falls on the ground and almost like breaks a leg, it becomes... meme, Instagram meme, right? And we love it. We're like, whoa, wow. And it's like, oh, no, you didn't. And you see all these things, and it's like shared multiple times, highlighted, everyone looks at it, and for about two weeks, if you're a basketball player, you are on internet. Everyone knows what happened to you. Everyone sees it, and they shame you, and they're like, oh, man, you just got fooled. That's exactly kind of what happens here, right? When Jesus is touched by this woman, Instead of saying, like, okay, I guess someone touched me, let you be healed, and walking away, he says, wait, 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 let's stop, you know? Let's stop everything here. Who touched me, right? And everyone's like, what's wrong with you? Everyone's around you. But he says, no, no, this is the Instagram meme moment. Look at this. Someone touched me, and the power left. In verse 30, that's what he said. Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and he be healed of your disease. The question is again, why does he do this? Why can he not just be that guy that just passes by and let, him, let her be healed. Why does he stop to make this a moment so that everybody, including Jarius at the time, notice what is happening, further delaying the time that he has to go to Jairus' daughter. So far again, what we see is that he is always in control. He knows what is happening. But what he wants to do, church, in this text, that he wants to bring her to light, not only for her to declare the truth to Jesus, to know what has happened to her, but for her to know that it was, as theologian William Lane states, it was the grasp of her faith rather than her hand that has secured the healing she sought. It was the grasp of her faith, not her faith, the large Amazing faith. That's not what we're talking about. But her small hands of faith that reached out to this amazing God, Christ, that has healed her. And Jesus wants to highlight that and show her. Here is Christ who walks intentionally on this path, going coast to coast, making me abundantly clear that nothing in this world for her can truly satisfy, even if her own efforts cannot truly satisfy the answer that she needs. It was only him and him alone that he can, she can find her healing in and ultimately rest. So he pauses everything, the crowd, the appointment of the ruler of the most important people in town to meet with her, teach her, to walk with her. Jesus does simply pass by her pain. She sees her, he heals her, and makes sure she gets the fullness of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Church, again, here comes the beauty of the gospel, isn't it? How often we try so desperately hard to fill the desires of our heart only to find wanting? How many vacations we go on to find we realize we don't find the fulfillment and rest in it? How much more money can we make when we realize those things cannot buy our eternal joy in Christ? How many relationships we enter into to only realize only Christ can fill that in our hearts? And in our desperation, what Christ says, it's not about what you are doing in coming and seeking me. It is me that could embrace you, empower you. I want to talk a lot about prayer today because I think prayer talks about what it means to relate to him. I remember this encouragement I received from this woman of prayer that once taught me. I was in a leadership group in my college, and oftentimes when we gathered to pray, at the end of the prayer, she would always ask one of us to pray. And back then I had a fear of praying in public. Because I thought, man, I need to think about a beautiful way to lead people in prayer. And I, I think a lot of us struggle with that too, right? Especially when, like, my friends were really gifted with words. And then I remember this one time a friend of mine was pray, praying. And he started by saying, like, the flowing rivers of Jordan coming down from the mountains to the, to the ground. May your grace cover us. And I was like, what is going on here? But everyone was like, amen, oh, hmm, so good. And I was thinking, man, I can't pray like that. I have trouble, uh, you know, trying to speak two languages right now, right? So how can I pray like he is praying? And I was overwhelmed with this pressure. And every day it got closer and closer and closer to my turn to pray. I started panicking and tried to read all the books on prayer. Try to mimic this guy, and was saying, like the flowing rivers of the Mediterranean Sea, and whatever maybe, may be. And I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it, and I just fumbled through, and you could tell the, the, the tense, the, 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 the heartache that I had as I prayed. And I froze, and I said, God, thank you. And there was silence for like two minutes, which felt like eternity for me. But after that prayer time, this prayer woman pulled me aside and said something that I will never forget that gives me confidence to this day to pray in any situation. She basically said, do you think it is your prayer that matters? Yes? No, it's, No, it does not, right? She said the fact that you could pray in Christ's name at the end makes your prayer powerful. That's what gospel reminds us. So when you pray, Whatever you say, that's what scripture tells us. Right? We don't know what we ought to pray for. But the fact that we pray in Christ's name makes your prayer powerful. That's what happens to this woman. It's not the fact that she has come to seek her. But is the king of kings, the universe who stops all things to highlight the grasp of a frail woman who could deal with her illness. All you saints of church, May we grasp the king who passes, who looks to us, who comes to us. Final way our king goes to coast to coast is not only does he pass, dribble, but the king who shoots the shot. Perhaps the most audacious, most improbable way for one person from, to go from one end of the coast to the other coast is to do this full court heave hoping the ball will go in. Even the greatest basketball player a shooter, not great basketball player, that's that's debatable. Oops, I'm sorry, uh, because Michael Jordan is. Um, Arguably, the best shooter of all time, Stephen Curry, shoots about 6% in a full court heave, and that's because Stephen Curry. You and I, probably 0%. Um, The final story that we see here is the king who does the improbable like that, the impossible. We saw that Jesus was on his way before he got delayed by this encounter with the woman. And as he was done with this woman and going back to Jairus' daughter, and this is what we find out in verse 35. While he was still speaking, there came from the rulers some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. Imagine what Jairus is feeling at this point, thinking he's an important man who does not have to wait for other people. Quite often, others wait for him. He boldly, in many ways, humbly approached Jesus, knowing that he could heal. He lets everything on the table. He's a respected man after all. Talk about being desperate. For the life of the daughter, he goes, submits, and seeks. But here, Jesus stops to deal with a woman who is nice of the world is nothing. Insignificant than she was. he was. Imagine what goes through in his mind when he hears that his daughter is dead, thinking only if he did not linger back. Only if he came faster. Does he even care about someone like me? In the midst of the complete and utter despair, I mean, what more hope is there when your daughter is dead? When someone that you care and loved about is dead. In the midst of that, he simply says to him, do not fear, but only believe. And that's not easy. The question we often linger when we're at loss is, does God even care? How can we not fear and only believe? How does that work anyways? Is Christ being callous here? Does he not understand the circumstances, the impact that he has? and? Literally, the situation is good as dead. The daughter is not breathing. All the hope seems to be lost. In church, here's what Christ does in the next story. is not only does he come through the shot of a lifetime for Jairus, but he also shows him what following Christ is like. Not only does he make this Hail Mary of a shot, to save the daughter as he walks in and simply commands talitakumi. And the daughter who is seemingly dead rises, who is dead actually, rises and is attended to. But what Jesus does with Jairus here is to show him what following Christ is like. First, what he shows is that he cares He cares enough to listen to Jerry's desperate plea. He cares enough to walk, to go coast to coast. But not only does he care enough to come to heal, but Jesus cares enough not only to merely heal, but to disciple and to grow Jerry's faith, to see Christ as his only worth. Notice that situation is gloomed. Circumstances do not hold any hope. But in each instance, Jesus speaks to Jarius. He's intentionally walking with him, intentionally stopping to heal the woman. Here is a woman, a weak woman, both physically and spiritually, but her weak faith led hold of powerful Christ. And by showing that, he's telling Jairus, do not fear, but believe. Look at what I'm doing with this woman. Jairus, believe. And oh boy, he will see that. Not only at the moment of this woman's healing, he gets to experience it, does he not? The daughter, the Hita, was dead, comes alive by speaking of simple words Talita Kumi, little girl arise. And there's a reason why this word is highlighted here. And I love what Pastor Derek Thomas says about this this word kumi" is a common phrase. It's not like hocus pocus, rise, right? It's not like he's speaking in tongue and doing all this crazy reciting of the Bible verses. It simply means, little girl, wake up. And I say that all the time, every morning. Son, school, let's go, wake up. That's basically what Jesus tells this daughter. And Pastor Derek Thomas says, for the rest of Jairus's life, as he utters his words every morning, little girl, my daughter, arise, he will remember this moment. He will remember Jesus' words of, do not fear, only believe. And he will have this powerful testimony of Christ who walks with them, who walked with them, who not only demonstrated their power, but discipled them. And every moment, every day, he walks with his daughter for the rest of his life. Every time he utters his voice, every morning he says, let her go arise. He will remember the grace of our God who makes the impossible normal, who makes the improbable for the sake of those who love him. In college, my first job out of college was working from 4 a.m. to 4 p.m. That was the only job that I had, was able to have, because I wanted to stay behind in my college campus to serve my church. And against my parents' wishes, I got this job, and I was so excited to tell them, but I didn't want to tell them I had to wake up at 4 a.m. If you know anything about campus ministry, you go to sleep at 4 a.m. You don't wake up at 4 a.m. So my campus ministry life basically meant I would stay up with my college students about one or two and as they were about to order their second round of pizza, I would say, I need to go home because i got to wake up to go to work. I'll come home with my tired body, and then I'll wake up at 3.30 to get ready and then go to work and work 12 hours and go back. And mind you, I wish I could stand here and testify, saying, like, God was awesome. I praise the Lord. I thank the Lord. I was able to work in two hours of sleep. Absolutely not. I grumbled every day. You know, in my heart, I cursed all the time. Wondering, why? Why is this happening in my life? I thought you want me to stay. I thought you want me to do these things. I thought you want me to pursue after you. But every time I had to wake up at 3.30 a.m. as the alarm bell went up, I cursed and thinking, why, God, why? Why am I here? And one time I actually wrote it on the wall. I said, why am I here? And every time I woke up, I wonder what is God doing in my life? But you know, throughout those years, Why am I here became thankful that I was there? Through ups and downs of my life that God has taught me, that God provided even through those moments. The reason why I share that is I thought that was then and this is now. And we often think like that too, don't we not? When we go over a difficult portion of our life, we think, oh, that was then, now is now. But what we realize time and time again is you never graduate from God's grace. You never graduate from God's teaching. As we go through difficult times in the future, as, you, as I pursue my wife and we face difficulties in our marriage, the same lesson was taught again. And I wonder the same thing. Why God? And the same whispers of hope came. Because I love you. Because I'm walking with you. And as we face Upon difficulties, upon difficulties, upon difficulties, as we pursued different careers, job, whatever it may be, every single time, the lesson was the same. I love you, I love you, I love you, follow me. My Talita Kumi moments. Church, we never graduate from God's grace. Never master his love for us. Your circumstances may change. But Lamentation 322 23 is ever so true for us. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. It's not that Lord changes, but we go through ups and downs of our life. But his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. That's the truth and the promise of the scripture. Notice that there's time delay in every element of today's story. The man's encounter, the woman's encounter, the Jairus' daughter's encounter. In fact, the Jairus' daughter's encounter is most concerning because it's dead. But if you think about it, it only lasts for a short time, a couple hours perhaps. Others are years of yearning, waiting. And we also see that Jesus works in the ways that both are public and private. Woman is brought public, Man and daughter is kept private. But what we find common is that throughout all these stories, what he does is make disciples. Imagine the story of a man. Let me tell you about what happened to me. Story of a woman. For 12 years I bled. But you know the beauty of discipleship is not only telling others about this, but preaching to yourself. Every morning, Jesus wakes up. Reminder of his grace. No matter what comes his way. That's grace. That's gospel. Let's pray. Church, before we go into time of Lord's Supper, let's pray and come to the Lord. I know a lot of us come before him with a lot of different burdens, and the whispers of the enemy that says he will not deal with you. That person is a lost cause. You know why you, need not, you and I need to come gather like this, sing songs, confess our faith through a creed, pray prayers? Because we need to be reminded of Talitakumi, the moments of grace. Let's pray that, shall we? Father, that's our prayer. As we come before the throne of God, may you speak. May you speak the words of Talitha Kumi in our hearts so we may come alive as we experience the grace of God in our lives. Strengthen your people. Christ, Christ's name we pray. Amen.